Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Mike Rothschild. I'm the dean of the Woodrow Wilson School, and we are in for a treat. Uh, Fred Greenstein, who's our speaker, is an extraordinarily distinguished political scientist. He really was one of the people who introduced into uh, political science the serious study of psychology and how it relates to politics. And then he worked for a long time and has continued to work on leadership. He is primarily responsible for the rehabilitation of Eisenhower's reputation as a serious and competent president who really understood how to lead and how to manage. He also just wrote a deceptively simple book called The Presidential Difference. Those academics in the audience will recognize that simple is the ultimate compliment which is, you say, it's simple, E equals MC squared. Fred's book is a very simple study of presidential leadership from Roosevelt through Clinton, which lays out a template in which to measure different leaders and different qualities and then marches through those presidents and his E equal MC squared really does illuminate what's different about the presidents, where they were good, where they weren't and if you haven't read it, it's a wonderful read and I recommend it. The natural question that we're here to have Fred answer is, so where does Bush fit, and how did September 11th change him? And it's my pleasure to introduce Fred Greenstein, who's going to explain this. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. I sort of feel I should stop and just uh, luxuriate in it uh, and not do what I'm about to ask Dale Satin to do, which is to do uh, one more introduction, this one by, uh, by a prominent political observer named Gary Trudeau. I've got three, I've got three frames from um, uh, Sunday's Doonesbury, the first two of which reflect uh, the kind of perspective I'm not about to take, namely evaluating positively or negatively a major piece of the, of, of the Bush uh, performance. Uh, the second one is closer to the market, apropos of psychology and political psychology. Uh, meanwhile, psychologists are cautioning the public that 100% approval rating does not actually make someone smarter. Well, what, I, well, what, what I'm going to do is um, look as a psychologist or as a political scientist would be uh, at George W. Another way of 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 describing this would be that that my approach is a kind of consumer reports to president about presidents. It would be as if you were um, uh, reading 
the evaluations of sports utility vehicles in uh, consumer reports. Some of them have good uh, uh, gas consumption. Some of them have poor uh, consumption. Some of them hold the road well. Some of them are prone to tip over. Uh, it's a very different story, however, than raising the question of whether the sports utility vehicle is a blight on civilization or whether you should buy one or whatnot. Though that's not my concern, uh, uh, although uh, you can try, if you like, when, when I finally uh, subside to uh, uh, smoke me into uh, uh, making policy evaluations, but I have no particular perspective there. In the presidential difference, as Mike describes, I, uh, I do look at presidents uh, in, through a template, and I'll use that template to look at uh, uh, to look at George W. before and after. I also look at uh, at a series of presidents, beginning with Franklin Roosevelt, when the presidency assumes a proportion that uh, it really had not um, uh, had uh, previously in American politics, when the president really is the agenda-setting uh, uh, mechanism in the American political system. Uh, uh, taking over the role that traditionally had been uh, uh, the congressional uh, role. Um, the, in order to lead into Bush, I'm going to uh, remind everyone here uh, through a video of something that um, uh, you, no one who came here would be likely to need to be uh, fully reminded of, and that is that uh, this is a man uh, the uh, 43rd President of the United States uh, about whom grave reservations have been raised or were raised certainly before September 11th certainly when he was emerging on the scene as someone who had had uh, seemingly and in fact uh, very little political experience compared say with a Franklin Roosevelt who when he took office in 1930 had been rather consistently in American political life since 1910 when he was elected to the state uh, uh, Senate of the United States. Um, the video is one which I actually have a kind of fleeting appearance uh, in. It's the... It, it's the uh, 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 it's the ABC uh, news video in the run-up to Bush's acceptance speech at the Republican convention uh, a year ago in August. Uh, as Peter Jennings will announce, if I've got it queued up properly, uh, ABC and the other networks, rather than accepting the boilerplate that the candidates create uh, and play themselves, which one can see on C-SPAN, they do their own more un unvarnished version. And, and I think it, it does nicely lay out some of the reservations about Bush. Now, just to jump ahead uh, and say something about how he looks post-September 11th, I think everything I say under the headings that I use to look at presidents, uh, which I'll introduce uh, after the video, and, and uh, everything I say uh, ought to 
be viewed as reasonably controversial. These are my interpretations, and you may have different interpretations, even if you take the consumer reports approach rather than the citizens' policy approach to this. One thing, however, that nobody can question, because it's something that our neighbors on Hullfish Street, the Gallup poll, have unequivocally established, is that well, Bush, contrary to Gary Trudeau's psychologist, does not have 100% public approval. He has the highest Gallup poll and, and other poll uh, approval in the history of presidential polling, and that's something that goes back to the 1940s. There have been monthly polls asking the question, generally speaking, do you approve or disapprove of how the president is doing? Now, in the first week of September, on I believe the second and the third, Gallup ran a poll and they got 51 percent uh, approval. Uh, that was the lowest figure that Bush had had in the eight and a half months of his of his presidency. The highest had been 60 percent. They had been rather flat, but not unusual uh, uh, approval levels. It was actually rather surprising that, that they were all consistently above 50 percent, given the circumstances of the of Bush's election, given the, the belief, uh, the widespread belief that he had not even been uh, elected, but that it had been a, a decision of the Supreme Court that had uh, put him in office. Uh, so one observation that I find interesting as a political scientist is that by January 20th, when he was installed uh, by inaugural time, uh, that intense controversy had already begun to uh, um, uh, uh, begun to fade. But uh, there nevertheless was a slippage uh, down to that 51%. And what does one see uh, two weeks later um, in the September 14th to 15th Gallup poll? Um, his approval level is 86%. Uh, that um, is statistically uh, 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 the same, really, as the, as, as the other two uh, marginally higher approval levels in the history of the presidency. Uh, a couple of other rather striking things have been have cranked out of these uh, public opinion polls. Uh, one, which was, which, in which the evidence came in this morning on the Gallup poll uh, weekly uh, political report, which comes across on the web, is that now for the seventh successive weekly poll, his approval level has been between that 86 percent and 90 percent. 90 percent, incidentally, is a level that had never been uh, 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 recorded before. And that seven-week run uh, is the longest successive uh, 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 rally uh, around a president. And these, these rallies do occur in times of crisis, but they often fade very, very, uh, very, very rapidly. Um, one other interesting observation is that until recently, if Gallup asked uh, um, if we had the election to run again, uh, who would you vote for, Gore or Bush? There, there was about an even mix. Uh, they ran that in the beginning of November, asked the alternative, and what they got was 61% Bush, 35% uh, um, Gore. Now, let's 
roll back and, and have Tom play what is about a six-minute video, and this will remind us of... Who has one thing on his mind? George Bush. George W. Hey, the little Bush kid. George W. Bush. But he is junior. George Bush, the little Bush kid. George Bush. George W. Bush, the little Bush kid. Tonight he speaks, and so do we, on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. We already have compassionate conservatives. They're called Democrats. ABC 2000. Continuing coverage of the Republican National Convention will continue after this from ABC stations. Two men acquitted of rape. Tonight at 11 on ABC 7 Eyewitness News. See how science helped prove their innocence. Then electric shock. Why some electric bills will remain... <laughs> we should come in about the point that uh, George Stephanopoulos is, is brewing. And that will then lead into the video. Once again from Philadelphia, Peter Jennings. A few minutes ago, if you were here, you would have heard Bill Minataglio, one of the early biographers of George Bush, say that he thought this all began quite some time back. But it does lead me to invite my, our colleague, George Stephanopoulos, who's out on the floor to contemplate George for just a few minutes. What an extraordinary accomplishment, as you pointed out before, it has been for Mr. Bush to come so far in such a limited period of time. Amazing, Peter. You know, he is a relatively inexperienced politician, but he's had a remarkably untroubled path to the nomination. He raised more money, defeated his opponents, moved to the center, and unified his party more quickly and more effectively than any president since Reagan. And he's likely to leave this convention with a lead rivaling Ronald Reagan's 16-point lead over Jimmy Carter in 1980. And is there any vulnerability in all this? Well, the, just that, that he has not built up enough substance beneath the bounce and that people don't really know enough about him yet to give him a cushion once the Democrats start to attack. Well, as we said, this evening is about introducing George W. Bush to the country, and one of the things the Republicans have done is to introduce him by preparing a biography. It happens at every political convention, a film biography, which is always invariably glorious about the candidate. So we invariably prepare our own. And here is our biography preparation done by our correspondent who's been covering him, George W. Bush, by Dean Reynolds. Even as a boy in Midland, Texas, George W. Bush had what some people might call a gift. Almost unfathomable uh, to me, uh, an eighth grader uh, walking into a room full of adults, uh, a cocktail party or a dinner party, and then working the room, going from person to person and saying, Hi, I'm George Walker Bush. How are you? He was politicking, it seemed. It is a trait that blossomed into a real talent as he moved from the oil fields and natural gas deposits of dusty Midland to the oak-paneled hallways and ivy-covered walls of Andover, Yale, and Harvard. He was always upbeat and funny. Clay Johnson was a Yale classmate. He was very comfortable being around strangers initially, and much more so than the rest of us. And his connections, his uh, friendships around the school just seemed to be more far-flung than, than anybody else that I knew. But is he all handshake and not much else? Hey, you buddy? What's your name? The same people who recall the friendliness can point to little in the way of leadership qualities they perceived. For example, the 1960s were a turbulent time at Yale. Rebellion and anti-war sentiment were palpable. To many, perhaps, but not to Bush. Former Clinton advisor and Democratic strategist Lanny Davis was at Yale then, too. The Vietnam War at that time was just heating up, and I don't recall him ever being involved in any either protests or meetings or even discussions about Vietnam. That perception of disinterest dogs him to this day. 
Professor Fred Greenstein is a presidential scholar at Princeton. He's a man who gives the impression of not using, not, not wanting to use his mind, of not liking to use his mind, of being impatient with the play of ideas. His life immediately after college is not well documented. It is then that his detractors say, without proof, that there must have been drug use and more than what Bush himself casually calls young and irresponsible behavior. I made mistakes years ago, and uh, I've learned from those mistakes. He admits there was once way too much alcohol, but after an all-night binge in 1986, he quit drinking, cold, as he explained to ABC's Barbara Walters. Uh, you know, maybe there's an escape. It could have been, you know, my use as a crutch. All I know is that it was beginning to compete with my energies and my affections, and I quit. It was at about the same time that, with counsel from the Reverend Billy Graham, Bush became more religious and closer to his family, especially to his wife, Laura. It was seen as a step on the road to maturity, but loose ends remain. What about his military obligation in the Texas Air National Guard? He says he fulfilled it, but is hazy in his recollections. Did his father secure a safe slot for him away from combat? Both men say no. Was his oil business kept afloat by investors hoping to trade for influence with his father, the vice president? And what about that huge profit he made from the sale of the Texas Rangers ball club? An investment of just $600,000 to become a part owner yielded a payoff of nearly $15 million in just a few years. This boy, this son of ours is not going to let you down. He's His family ties did not hurt him along the way, but as he told ABC's Peter Jennings, they were a mixed blessing. I'm used to being George Bush's son. I'm proud of being George Bush's son. My throwaway line has got a lot of wisdom in it. I inherited half his friends and all his enemies. Give me the high five. It shows victory. Critics have used that daddy's boy charge before to little success. He overcame huge doubts about him when he ran for governor in 1994, beating the popular incumbent Ann Richards. And while Al Gore and the Democrats have tried to use his Texas record against him to highlight the persistent poverty in Texas, Texan voters overwhelmingly re-elected him. It is as governor that he has achieved happiness and a certain peace of mind, which makes people wonder, why would he want to leave it all and run for president? Some believe he keeps following in his father's footsteps, attending Yale, becoming a military pilot, starting his own oil business. I will faithfully execute the duties of the office of governor, the office of governor. Running for president would be the obvious next move. The president of the United States. Others say it is to avenge his father's bitter defeat in 1992. Still others say he is responding to a groundswell from Republican ranks. They wanted somebody who was a different kind of Republican, somebody who could uh, put a new face and a new voice to the party and draw new faces and new voices into the party. He calls himself a different kind of Republican, one who believes conservatism can be compassionate. To make sure no one is left out and no one is left behind. But as a national candidate, it has been a tough learning experience. His critics say this kind of exchange is inevitable. Can you name the president of Chechnya? No, can you? And the prime minister of India? Uh, the new prime minister of India is... Uh, uh, no. We fought the good fight. 
We fought the good fight. After his humiliating defeat in the New Hampshire primary, questions abounded. Is he up to the job, or even does he want the job? There's a kind of a laid-back way to which he approaches his quest for the White House, which would lead the American people to feel this was someone who was not really in charge, who was not taking direction, who was not up to the challenge. Trying to draw a contrast with Gore, Bush says he has not spent a lifetime preparing to be president. There are things in life other than a political life, as far as I'm concerned. I intend to win. I believe I'm going to win. I'm going to work smart and hard to win. But I understand sometimes you don't get everything you want in life. But as the general election campaign begins, he finds himself on the threshold of the White House, ready or not. That pop quiz that a reporter gave to George W. some months ago reminds us that one of the questions before the American people this season is how much international ex... There we go. So, that reminds us that both some of the salient facts about this man's background, um, the paperback of the presidential difference, by the way, um, which... Uh, redounds to the royalty advantage of my grandchildren, so I'm happy to plug it. Uh, it does have an afterward that has a full, a fuller account of this man and his background and his uh, uh, the series of, of uh, events that led him to become President of the United States. There are six lenses that I've been using uh, uh, when I finally began distilling what I had been doing here in the last 25 um, years on modern post-Herbert Hoover uh, presidents. Uh, and what I'll do is tick each of them off and say something about what, uh, uh, what my pre-September 11th perception of this man is, or what, or, and that may or may not then be one that, that needs to be uh, modified. The one I want to begin with is what has be, come to be called emotional intelligence. Now, I think this is a somewhat trendy, not very technically psychological term, but nevertheless a useful one for getting at an important characteristic of, uh, that applies really to all human experience, but certainly to human uh, political experience. And this is the question of uh, how much control does a person have of his or her emotions? Are those, uh, is the emotional side of the individual's makeup something that uh, advances that individual's purpose? Uh, in a constructive fashion, or alternately, is this the kind of individual um, who is emotionally challenged, whose emotions uh, undermine his or her performance? Uh, one might take it for granted that uh, to get all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you would have to be uh, emotionally together. But anybody here uh, knows and probably has recently been reinforced from the reviews of some recent works on Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon, the just published Michael Beschloss volume with the Johnson tapes. We know that, in fact, uh, we have had presidents who, who really... Um, uh, were emotionally problematic and whose, and whose feelings did uh, undermine their performance. Uh, the Beschloss uh, distillation of, of Johnson tapes has uh, 
has Johnson saying to Vice President Humphrey that he doesn't really think he's got the temperament, the makeup for uh, being president? Uh, we find him to be someone who uh, was uh, who, who flailed about during the Vietnam experience, went into deep depressions, was deathly uh, frightened of what was going on, who literally could not allow himself uh, to take a night's sleep, but made his way uh, every two or three hours on some occasions down to the down to the Situation Room. Someone who who I think one has to uh, at the time and in retrospect be uneasy about. Then Johnson is succeeded by uh, uh, by Richard Nixon, someone capable of extraordinary international uh, accomplishments. Somebody who's uh, when I interviewed uh, a particular aide of Nixon's, this person said that man is an ambulatory computer. He has an extraordinary strategic sense and what this man was thinking of was how Nixon had come in sensing that he would have the capacity to transform the relationships of the United States and the Soviet Union and China and was able to bring that about in four years. But in those four years, um, Nixon also embarked on the, the Watergate doings, the dark activities, the, his suspiciousness, his, uh, his uh, uh, level of, of, of barely suppressed anger and so on, uh, destroyed his presidency and was really problematic uh, for the nation. So what about George W.? Is he emotionally together or is he not? Uh, if we went back to that... 1986 uh, drinking bins that that is referred to in that video. You obviously have to conclude that at that point this was a man who's uh, who uh, who was self-indulgent in ways that were unconstructive or counter uh, or counterproductive. He would have very low score on emotional intelligence. Uh, I myself would have suspected that somebody who um, who really had to rely on a fundamentalist uh, um born-again religious commitment or seem to have to rely on that in order to uh, break free of what seems to have been something close to alcohol dependency or alcoholism, uh, perhaps, that such an individual would be, uh, would be fragile, would, would have a hair trigger. Uh, what I have to say is that looking as closely as I've been able to from the public record at Bush's performance over time, for example, his resilience during the primary campaign where you'll remember that he was very severely uh, in a very severe setback in the New Hampshire primary when McCain uh, carried it by I believe over 10% that in these episodes he um, he did bounce back get himself together he never seemed to succumb to uh, uh, to uh, uh, extreme self-pitying uh, so whatever the process is this is someone who seems Seems to have conquered his uh, uh, his inner demons, and and we are all um, judges from the media, from C-SPAN, and so on, of what his uh, September post September 16th performance has been. I assume some of you might want to raise questions about some of the uh, the, the quick-tongued early responses, the get him dead and dead or alive, or the uh, smoke him out, and so on. I've spent uh, 17 days. 
days lecturing to various European audiences for the State Department last month, and those, of course, were the, were the common uh, focus or concern. So perhaps we can get to some of those kinds of issues uh, in the question period. My own sense uh, is, is that uh, one does not have to wake up in the middle of the night and say, uh, this man is about to send out nukes, that this is a, that this is a, a dangerous figure. Uh, I was watching him today in the press conference with uh, President Putin, and uh, as in many other contexts, he seemed to be someone who was, uh, who was at ease, who was not, um, um, not uh, showing uh, the the kind of uh, uh, of emotional vulnerabilities that are really frightening in the Oval Office. Now, emotional intelligence, uh, it seems to me, is a threshold uh, requirement of the presidency. Uh, given the given the extraordinarily destructive potential of the American. Uh, uh, military establishment, given the fact that the president is a commander-in-chief, you simply don't want, although we have no, no way of preventing a president who has major shortcomings in that realm. It may not be so problematic if the president takes up with White House interns and so on, which, uh, which uh, 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 certainly is also a sign of lack of emotional uh, intelligence, given the uh, better part of a year that was lost to the to to the Clinton uh, presidency, so perhaps not all uh, uh, you know, emotional problems are equally problematic, but still uh, you know, we have an enormous investment in the chief executive and would hope to have uh, someone who, who is together um, emotionally. Now, the cognitive side, as I uh, dug into presidents, I was a little surprised to find that um, it didn't seem as if uh, the very brightest people were necessarily the, the great uh, the, the presidents who you would most admire, although their brightness might lead them to perform in, in impressive ways. Uh, Nixon I just referred to and, and his capacity to, to master issues and his dedication to do that were just, uh, just phenomenal, but where does his presidency wind up? The one president uh, who has to Johnson was a very was a very smart man. He was someone who could master every provision of a complex piece of legislation and link those provisions to the people uh, in the political arena whose votes he needed to get policies through. But again, this is a man who, at the end of his elected term, is forced because of the level of protest against his military policies to announce he's not going to run again. As Clinton, the Rhodes Scholar. But uh, it would be hard to say that he had lived up to his potential in uh, to what many people thought was his potential in in those two uh, um, in those two terms. And what about Ronald Reagan? Now, very few people, I suspect, at least in a Princeton audience, would uh, uh, argue that Ronald Reagan was was some kind of uh, of uh, mental powerhouse. Certainly, he was a person who was who was uh, full of, uh, of of unusual perceptions about the real world, notions that trees cause pollution, that uh, maybe you could pull warheads back in to um, uh, uh, to missiles. Uh, 
the uh, just a lot of misinformation. Someone who was very removed from a lot of specifics in his presidency during the Iran Contra um, affair, uh, when uh, he was interrogated in the Oval Office about what he knew about it, he made the mistake of reading uh, the briefing card that said, "and don't mention so and so," which, which was actually one reason why the uh, uh, why the powers that be on Capitol Hill uh, concluded that 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 they that. They would not embark on, a, on, uh, on an impeachment. But, what did, but what, did, what did Reagan do in his presidency, despite these uh, uh, perhaps cognitive, certainly informational limitations? In his first year in office, by the summer of that year, he leads a successful move to uh, redirect American policy from the big-ticket, high-expenditure um, Direction that that had been, that it had been taken since the New Deal. This is that major supply side tax cut. I'm not suggesting that 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 we necessarily have to accept the the virtues of supply side economics. That's from the first two Doonesbury cattle paddles, uh, but. From the third one of looking at someone uh, as, as a performer, um, this was a man who, in the words of one of his biographies, uh, the, the president for Ronald Reagan, the presidency for Ronald Reagan was the role of a lifetime. And uh, when he was cast in the role of being the counterpart of Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, we I see someone here who did a uh, who did a, a junior paper on that. Uh, uh, he um, he worked effectively, flexibly with Gorbachev. He incidentally got very much up to speed under those circumstances, which is relevant to where my story is going on George W. W. Bush. Someone who's teaching at the Woodrow Wilson School now, former Ambassador Jack Matlock, who was then on the National Security. Council actually organized a personal introductory course on Russian and Soviet history with with graphics and so on, which which Reagan loved. And Reagan met with Gorbachev in Geneva, uh, Reykjavik. Um, uh, Washington, and then uh, they met together in Moscow, by which time the Cold War essentially had ended. So um, I think you have to give Reagan at the Consumer Reports level credit for having had some kind of political skill. It didn't necessarily go with being very bright. Now, what about George W.? Because I had the tape queued up wrong, you got a little bit of politically incorrect, which, where, uh, which like Saturday Night Live, is full of humor about his cognitive limitations. And he himself has played on these things, uh, uh, saying to a Yale audience that he's uh, he can demonstrate from his own experience that even C students can uh, uh, can go can go a long way. I don't think he is a stupid man, but as I say on the tape, I, I think he's someone who never got in the habit of using his mind. He was he, he had a very uh, poor link with these high-powered educational uh, contexts that were essentially foisted upon him by his Ivy League father. He didn't get along academically at Phillips Academy in Andover, although he was very popular. He didn't. He was a C student at, uh, at Yale, having taught at Yale actually before he ever became a freshman. I can say that that was an error when students got C's, that it was, it was the so-called gentlemanly grade. 
trade. It's not one that nobody knows about anymore. The, uh, but still, it was not it was not sign of being uh, being academically um, inclined. Uh, I think that. September 11th, and, and I'm certainly not the only person who thinks this, has galvanized this man. That it has, uh, that as sometimes occurs uh, in the lifetime of people, that he has achieved a potential that wasn't obviously there in terms of uh, applying himself to the events, feeling a, a, a palpable sense of dedication, and and. What I see um, is uh, is just a much closer sense of what's going on. A feeling, uh, not a feeling, but a perception of somebody who's who's who is much more on top of specifics than he was uh, uh, before. And and since I take it for granted that that mastering every little detail isn't a necessary part of of, of presidential leadership, but on the other hand, being uh, very remote from details is highly problematic. This is something that I would welcome uh, from my uh, uh, instrumental evaluation um, standpoint. Uh, uh, after I go through the, uh, four more of the benchmarks that I use for evaluating presidents, with the fourth one, uh, I'll ha I will then have Tom play a little more video, which is which will consist, among other things, of a snippet from uh, uh, the rather long press conference that Bush gave on October 11th, one month to a day after the uh, bombing. He he held a press conference in the East Room of the White House, which is where he and Putin uh, saw the press today. This was the first time he had held such a press conference in his presidency. And 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 uh, uh, and I'll leave it to you by way of a lead to our give and take to uh, conclude whether this was a man who seemed to be, you know seemed now to be on top of specifics. I had uh, been fortunate that uh, one of my daughters had taped this for later listening since I was out of the country. But when I when I watched it, I was astonished at how, just at how sort of comfortably specific he seemed to be about what was going on, about how at a point where he would normally, um, in, in, in a presidential debate, as the, with some of the debates with, uh, with Gore, um, Bush would sometimes give a one-sentence answer, and there would be a pause because the expectation would be that he would elaborate on that. But then it was clear that that was his answer. So it was a kind of a bumper sticker approach to communication. Well, that's not what you're seeing um, now, and you are seeing a lot of specifics. Well, if... Um, the emotional side is important, and the cognitive side may not be quite as important as we academics would like to think it should be. Uh, there are uh, uh, there are two facets that I that I think are exceptionally important that are closer to the core of the presidential job. One that would seem so obvious that it might not be worth elaborating on is is simply political skill. But I think if you were to array different kinds of different political systems or a wide array of democracies um, uh, and ask now 
how important is it that 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 the top figure in these democracies is capable of wheeling, dealing, persuading, seeing political uh, options and taking them, making appropriate and subtle uh, moves, the sort of thing that led one of the um, um, Roosevelt biographers, James McGregor Burns, to call him uh, the lion and the fox, and particularly the fox in terms of his manipulative subtlety and so on. Well, I think the United States puts an enormously high premium on on political skill because of the complexities of our political system, because we have a constitutional system which was created to, in the 18th century in order to make it difficult for government to do anything, but we exist uh, for most of our lives in the 20th and now in the 21st century when when it's consistently important that the government accomplish things. So uh, to have a president who can veto the legislature, two houses of the legislature that can veto each other, veto groups within the legislature, committees like Senator uh, Helms's uh, committee and so on, it's like a vast monopoly game in which there are many, many possibilities of of, of of having to go back to uh, to go or passing uh, going to jail or whatnot, and it just takes exceptional skill. Well, the great uh, uh, modern politician, in my view, from the standpoint of skill, was Lyndon Johnson, the the one other Texan to serve in the White House. Somebody once commented of LBJ that he had a gene for dividing by two and adding one. He was just a you know. This really manifested itself in the Senate, where he transformed the uh, uh, the Senate Majority Leadership from a kind of a almost ceremonial position to a real engine for uh, for policy making. And coming in to the White House in the aftermath of Kennedy's assassination, in two successive years, Kennedy uh, after Kennedy's death, Johnson drives through major civil rights legislation, Medicare, and this huge amount of great society. And and one of the charms of these uh, of, of these Johnson tapes is 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 listening to him do the Johnson treatment, the wheeling, dealing, persuading, and so on. Well, what about George W.? Well, maybe there's something in the water in Texas because uh, our alumnus James Baker III is another fine politician. The, the late Sam Rayburn was another great politician. Uh, and I'm not sure I'd call George W. a great politician, but he is a natural politician. And you see that charm stuff um, in the video. And and um, and it's often visible in the in in through the transparency of C-SPAN and these other ways we have of looking at uh, looking at politicians now coming into the Texas governorship. Um, uh, Bush uh, had a very clear program which he had campaigned on and which he then proposed and he did the same thing coming into the White House and so he set goals but the second thing is he engaged in a lot of hands-on activity and in in Texas the, he had well over a hundred meetings with key legislators one of the very first things he did even before becoming uh, winning the Texas election against Ann Richards 
was to form a uh, was to form a personal bond with a man named Bob Bullock, who was the uh, Wheeler dealer kingmaker in the in the state legislature, a Democratic legislature, and a and a Democratic politician. And these two uh, worked together very closely. So political skills are high coming into Washington, where. Most of his experience was campaign experience, namely running campaigns for his dad, which he did both in 88 and, uh, uh, and, in, and in 92, working with the famous Lee Atwater in the first of those, uh, uh, of those elections. He couldn't do what Johnson did. Johnson knew where all the bodies were in Washington. He knew, he, he knew all of the actors. Uh, Bush, who by now I think is, is probably quite a bit up to st- speed on these things, uh, did something else, which is, to, which is to take on as his vice president, initially vice presidential candidate, somebody who could do all of that. And, and also to, um, uh, to appoint the very, fir- the very same person who had done legislative liaison for his father to be his Capitol Hill um, lobbyist. So he had to borrow the Washington skills, but he had the personal ones. And I don't see, uh, I don't see a lot of change there, partly because I think he was uh, up, to, up to speed. Now, uh, okay, so far they, my categories are uh, emotional intelligence, uh, intelligence or cognitive qualities, and skill. Now, the, Lyndon Johnson, for all of his ability in the domestic sphere, of course, created that disastrous situation in Vietnam. In a way, Johnson's very skill contributed to it because the, there were very few political ripples in 1965 as we embarked on the open-ended uh, intervention. And the very day that he announced that we were going to give General Westmoreland whatever he needed to prevail in South Vietnam, he did it in a midday press conference uh, while announcing that he he had just uh, appointed a very distinguished uh, former, now former member of the Supreme Court, Arthur Goldberg, to succeed Adlai Stevenson, who had just died at the UN. And the announcement was that Goldberg was going to travel the world and negotiate peace, and that while Johnson was going to provide some troops uh, to uh, uh, General Westmoreland in Vietnam, he was not going to provide as many as people uh, feared he would have to, and he was not going to have to do another a number of other dire things. But all these dire things were expectations that Johnson had skillfully created so that when he did what he did, it would seem to be quite modest. He got wonderful uh, uh, editorials. I, I, the, the first, the day after, the New York Times leader editorial was, we are so reassured by what what uh, President Johnson has done. But by the fourth year of Johnson's presidency, of course, we had a half million troops in Vietnam. Johnson himself could barely give speeches in public places other than military bases or on the White House lawn because the level of protest was so great. Well, what had Johnson missed? He had, uh, what he lacked, he had he had political skill to the nth degree, but he lacked another quality, and that is um, a viable 
policy sense or a sense of what the senior George Bush called the vision thing, not in a kind of a gossip or visionary way, but a concrete sense of policy, of goals, of, of workable goals. You can lower a microscope on the deliberations of the Johnson administration in 1965, and you never hear Johnson, you never see Johnson asking, where is this going? Uh, when will we get out? What will our troop levels be? Those were not those were not natural questions for him. Well, those presidents who did have a sense of policy vision uh, at one level or another were able to accomplish things that would not have otherwise uh, occurred. I think that's where that's what helped Nixon in bringing about detente with the Soviet Union, the opening to China, and as a matter of fact, getting American combat troops out of Vietnam. And at a different, less cerebral level, the fact that Reagan stood for some firm things, organized his presidency, and also gave him a buffer when he did back off from the evil empire sort of stance to negotiate with the Soviet Union, because people say, we know that Reagan is not soft on communism, and when his own right-wing aides objected to what he was doing with Gorbachev, they couldn't do anything about it, because he'd established where he was going. Now, what about George W. Uh, well, I don't think he's a policy wonk. I don't think he spends a lot of time thinking, or uh, certainly not that he has spent much of his life thinking about issues the way Bill Clinton um, did, although Bill Clinton also would shift from issue to issue in a very uh, 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 political fashion. Uh, but this is a man who looked at his father's experience. Uh, the senior George Bush, again, I'm sure everyone remembers, uh, was inordinately popular in the aftermath of the 100-hour military success in the Gulf, in, in the Gulf War. In fact, um, uh, he had what until then was the highest Gallup rating, 89%. Uh, that was what led, uh, in a curious way, Bill Clinton to become president because people who were much more promising as Democratic uh, contenders uh, suddenly withdrew from the field. People like Gephardt and Gore, Gore for example. But little did anyone know that George uh, Herbert Walker Bush would be defeated one year later. The, the economy went into recession. Uh, uh, the presidential campaign got underway. Uh, the senior Bush uh, had really, he had some domestic achievements, but he was not able to package them, to present them as a uh, persuasive story. He engaged in a kind of uh, uh, aimless campaign in which he personally uh, 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 attempted to deride Bush, uh, ride, deride Clinton and, uh, and Gore. He did not come forth with a program that persuaded people that he could do something about the economy. Well, the son has been, even though he seems to be very, to idealize his father um, uh, uh, to a very high degree, he was capable of looking at that experience and, and has said it to many people, including operators like Carl Rove, who you saw on the, on the video, and say, uh, uh, my father made a great mistake. He didn't stand for anything. Also, when he had all of that popularity off after the Gulf War, he didn't do anything. 
with it. Well, coming into Texas, Bush uh, identified four issues which are not worth listing, or I'm not sure I can even remember all of them, but they include school reform, uh, uh, certain changes that made litigation more uh, difficult, some changes in the tax code. They were explicit policies when uh, uh, Ann Richards, who had a famously acid tongue, she was the one who said that the senior Bush had been born with a silver spoon in his mouth, when she derided him and called him shrub, uh, he didn't, he, he just didn't respond. He just campaigned for these issues. Coming in, he pushed for those issues. Uh, he had to compromise often, but when they came through, he declared victory uh, and said, I got all my goals, and he was elected, uh, re-elected with over 60% of the vote. So he's got a mantra, and this is, I think, it's not so much in his character as in his learning experience, which is that you set some goals. This is also consistent with the fact that this is our first business school president, uh, someone who, in fact, in his CEO status, often seemed to be uh, excessively hands-off in terms of content with uh, uh, of contact with specifics, so much so that in Texas, um, uh, when he received a major report on the uh, uh, Texas A&M bonfire disaster, which many of you uh, may remember, he not only didn't read that report, but he didn't read its executive summary. He had his aides highlight a couple of paragraphs from it. He really had a very kind of lackadaisical approach to uh, uh, information and a, and a strong emphasis on delegation. In fact, he was known to criticize subordinates who gave him what he thought was too much, uh, uh, too much, too much information, but um, but the vision thing he did uh, he did have, and uh, the skill thing he did have. Uh, very quickly, the two more things that I uh, emphasize in, in in looking at presidents are their their organizational capacity, their ability to put together uh, and rally a team to structure their presidency in an, in an effective fashion and to choose strong people. And, and finally, although I list them in the reverse order in the presidential difference, their, uh, their ability with the bully pulpit, their, their ability as public, uh, as public communicators. Uh, Organizationally, I think the uh, the extremes which we can use as kind of benchmarks for him are, on the one hand, the former uh, commander of the European Theater of World War II, uh, General Eisenhower, who in the White House really created some very uh, rigorous and effective structures in which decisions were made by subordinates who who, who really uh, debated serious and sharply focused issues in the, pre in the presence of the, of, of the president and where there was uh, a sort of measured degree of, of delegation and a lot of attention to choosing able subordinates. Um, um, and the opposite end, uh, although I may be seeming to pick on him excessively, but he's often convenient, is the Clinton White House, which was notorious for unstructured, long uh, meetings where they would order pizzas after midnight and so 
on Clinton's presidency was at a structural level was once described as resembling a small child's soccer team and with no assigned roles and everybody chasing the ball. There were, there were meetings without agendas and other uh, you know, oddities. And, and it was one that kept losing its sense of, uh, um, its sense of direction. Um, this man uh, has actually been faulted, I think, for his organizational capacity. People said, well, here's this little guy, and he's surrounded by all these powerhouses. Ha-ha. Well, presumably it's a good sign to get strong subordinates. And the national security team here uh, is, uh, if, without judging whether one agrees with Rumsfeld or agrees with Powell or uh, agrees with Condoleezza Rice or or agrees with the policies of Dick Cheney. These are people with a lot of experience. And, and uh, it's very helpful when you get into something like this to have uh, highly experienced uh, uh, people. And, um, and that's something that goes on in a lot of other levels. And this is also a man who people, subordinates, bond to him. So someone like Rove has been associated with, uh, uh, with Bush for, um, uh, I believe, two decades. Karen Hughes, for at least for the, the length of the, of, of the governorship. So he's someone with, uh, uh, with organizational skills. But if he has or has had an Achilles heel, uh, or maybe it's an Achilles larynx. It would be in the era, in the realm of public communication. This is a man who, uh, you know, uh, who uh, uh, one prominent Washington journalist, Ronald G- uh, uh, Brownstein of the of the of the Los Angeles Times, described uh, Bush as. The A4 president. Now, A4 refers to page A4 of the first section of a major, major newspaper. Uh, Bush was really, really seemed uh, uh, uneasy about public communications, as well as not good at it. It was not just that he had a, an innovative approach to syntax and to vocabulary, <laughs> but that. Uh, in delivering speeches, there, he would deliver them with this odd kind of robotic uh, rhythm, uh, uh, sentences not breaking at natural points, and uh, and and, uh, uh, and a sort of flatness. Uh, he's someone who certainly had had many public roles, let's say, as the front man for the Texas Rangers, but not in anything like the league of the presidency and. The, there, it was what was standing out about his presidency in the uh, uh, in the initial months, and I would say maybe up till the beginning of the summer, and then he goes off for this one month vacation uh, in Crawford, which was another sort of record performance. No, no one since Nixon had had taken quite that long a presidential uh, vacation. What was standing out was that he he seemed to avoid opportunities that presidents normally take. Um, he, uh, at the end of the Crawford period, when he actually gave a rather fluent and comfortable press conference, uh, this was the third form 
formal press conference of his presidency, and none had been in the East Room. Uh, and they were all called on the spur of the moment so that the, the Sam Donaldsons and so on didn't make their way across town in order to be obstreperous. So they were, the, uh, and the reporters didn't do their, uh, didn't do their homework. There was a succession of events where people would say, where's the president? The American Air, uh, uh, Air Force personnel who were forced down on Hainan Island uh, finally were, were freed when they arrived at, uh, at Seattle. You could not imagine Bill Clinton not uh, failing to be there and probably try to steal uh, the scene. Uh, Richard Nixon flew halfway across the Pacific to be present when some of when the American uh, uh, astronauts came back from, from, from the moon and, and oddly called it the greatest day since creation. But uh, so presidents go off and they do they do these uh, uh, these things. Bush didn't do it. He d- he didn't make uh, oh sort of bully pulpit statements when things happened like the uh, racial disturbances in Cincinnati. So he seemed to be, uh, he, he seemed both not very good at the communication and to not be uh, communicating uh, very much. And, um, and let me, rather than saying that I am struck that he seems to be doing more of it and doing it a lot more effectively and this may, you may say if you're not a Bush enthusiast that that's because the standard is low or whatnot but the la- my, my last day in Europe I happened to read the Frankfurter Allgemeiner which fortunately was available in an English uh, edition or I, so I won't pretend that I, that, I, that I read the German and the front page editorial uh, or column called Bush's New Image. Now, Europeans were very, very suspicious of him. I didn't get into policy substance, the sort of my way or the highway approach to uh, uh, nuclear, uh, uh, to the anti-ballistic missile issue, to the global warming treaty, and so on. Um, uh, but here's what this very prominent um, German paper says. Uh, after uh, saying, well, George W. Bush is no war president like the patrician uh, Franklin Roosevelt, or, and uh, he doesn't produce resonating sentences like the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, it says the Texan is politically and intellectually uh, unpretentious, more of a Harry Truman uh, figure. In 1945, that small-time Missouri boy like Mr. Bush thrown into a tough and unforeseen, uh, was thrown into a tough and unforeseen test by Mr. Roosevelt's death. We are watching Mr. Bush, like Mr. Truman, growing to meet the challenges. Before our eyes, the 55-year-old former governor has become grayer, more profound, and more sure-footed. Now, this sounds like White House PR, but it is a German newspaper that wasn't being paid to do this. Its features reflect tension, responsibility, and occasional exhaustion. They also reflect his daily renewed energy and a conviction rooted in religious faith that it is not entirely a coincidence that he is confronted um, with a thing by which he will be measured uh, above others. I had a second video, which, and uh, let me, but I think it's, I've been going long enough, and uh, uh, so Tom, don't play the video. Uh, the, um, but I'll tell you what it is. It was, I want, I took first of all a, a snippet from the, uh, 
inaugural address where it was a very, um, I think, quite eloquently written address, and, and there were a lot of editorials uh, commending it, uh, partly because of its emphasis on bipartisanship. But after a, a, a sort of comfortable and easy introduction, I think he got very clearly bogged down in the poetry of the address, and you hear these sentence, sentences delivered in sort of fragmentary uh, uh, chunks. Uh, and uh, then I um, segued over uh, to some things after September 11th. One is uh, is um, on the uh, f- uh, the Friday, February 11th, as you remember, is a Tuesday. On Friday, he goes to the World Trade Center, and there's this episode uh, with a bullhorn where he's rallying and communicating with the hard hats there. And one of them says, "I can't hear you," and he says, "I I can hear you." And he and I think you know says some things that in, in a homestun way are quite eloquent about uh, 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 about them and about the United. States prevailing, and then the last is that October 11th press conference where he just goes into a lot more detail than you've seen before. So I would, uh, uh, you know, let me just kind of subside by uh, uh, quoting something which which is alleged to have been said by President Truman. Uh, I've never found the source, but Truman is supposed to have said, uh, the presidency is a place where you either grow or swell. And uh, and I think uh, uh, I think lots of people have concluded that there's been some genuine growth here. Thank you. Very much. We are open for questions, uh, although in the spirit of the new Bush, short and succinct questions. <laughs> Way back. I'll let you know. Yeah, good. Well, I think character, I think the problem with character is that it's a, is that it's not a, uh, uh, I mean, I said emotional intelligence is not a very precise uh, term, but character is even less precise in that uh, it's um, leaving aside the the very technical use of the term character that you get in the personality psychology literature when they talk about character structure or character disorders. Uh, it's um, it's a term which different people define in different ways and which is a little bit like the national interest or the public interest in that it's very much in the, uh, uh, in, in the mind of the beholder. Now, um, so uh, you would have to do what I'm, what, 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 what I won't ask you to do right now, and that is give your own your own definition. I, I think if you want to break it down into things like staunchness, persistence, uh, 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 the um, we could go through a whole checklist of things. Eventually, uh, if it comes from the mind of a human being or the psyche of a human being, it will have either it will have some combination of cognitive and emotional roots. It's a good question, and I've, and I've received it lots of times. And uh, I, But um, I don't, uh, it just, 
seems more like the first two Doonesbury boxes and less like the third one to me as a mundane political scientist. Despite what the dean said, if you want to give little speeches and so on, it's a uh, you may have come here to ventilate. uh, Let's see, um, uh, Attorney Stark. George Bush uh, lost his underpinnings when Lee Atwater died and James Baker was back in private life. What are the underpinnings that you think are most important to the presence of George Bush? Well, I think uh, I think the, uh, that what you're seeing now is someone whose motivation has just revved up enormously. I, and perhaps apropos of the character question, I, uh, there's a little illusion in that uh, uh, German editorial or op-ed piece that I just read to the religious basis. I, I think it's, it's surely the case, and it certainly comes out in Bush's rhetoric, that um, I mean, this is a man who reads the Bible. That's something that came out of that uh, transformation away from the heavy drinking, uh, self-indulgent quality. I was on a program with um, with a member of the Texas legislature uh, uh, about the time of the Republican convention, and this man was in a in a Bible reading group with uh, with Bush. And they actually read some kind of annotated Bible that encourages looking very closely at those texts and looking at their inner meaning. meaning. So if, if, if the question is what, uh, you know, for the longer haul, what can we expect for him? I think, I think he's clearly gotten over his phobia about public communication. If anything, he will become Clinton-like and be in your face in terms of public, uh, public communication. He's anxious to give speeches, press conferences, and so on. I think that the motivation here has gotten him into specifics and that, that he's probably going to forget that he had this, uh, uh, this notion that somehow an effective uh, administrator is someone who doesn't uh, who doesn't get into the, into many of many of the details, but of course there's so many uncertainties here. We're we're just six weeks after an event that, uh, um, in spite of the sudden rapid movement of the military situation on the ground in Afghanistan, nobody can possibly tell where it's going. And the senior Bush's presidency uh, fell apart uh, a year after uh, seeming to triumph. I don't know if this is really, uh, uh, you know, addressing your question, Albert, but it's a shot anyway. Um, let me. Um, uh, the gentleman in the in the multicolored shirt, yes. <laughs> I guess I'm one of the ten percent. But mm-hmm. apart from that, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm one of the ten percent on this poll is the stuff I read in Paul Krugman's columns. Right. Despite Bush's uh, people railing him on him for on uh, to patriotic reasons and Mm-hmm. is the policies that he's letting his mm-hmm. uh, party and uh, uh, cabinet officers and what have you pursue and, and mm-hmm. fight for every vote to Congress. Sure. Paul Krugman is right. Those policies are wrong, and he may face the same fate, even though he wins the war and gets Bin Laden out of there, that his father faced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's a privilege I should observe that Paul Krugman has left. 
<laughs> Alas. The, the, um, but anyway, the, uh, still, still someone who communicates with us from the, from the, from, from the New York Times. The, um, uh, one could conclude that there was a high level of competence, on, uh, but that the competence was being applied to, uh, 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 to policies you didn't approve of. I mean, let's take uh, one of the major policy accomplishments in accomplishments in the neutral sense of the word. One of the things that happened as a result of a Bush presidency, and it happened in part because even the pre-September 11th Bush had policy goals, a sense of focus, and a readiness to uh, uh, wheel and deal with Washington politicians. And this is a major tax cut, and a tax cut which provides nothing to people who don't pay taxes, which is a substantial portion of the American population, and uh, uh, provides a lot of money to people who are at the top of the economic structure. Now, it's not hard to see how, uh, depending on one's values, one could disapprove of that. It's also not hard to see how some people would say, ah, but the, you know, the people at the top are the ones who uh, uh, provide the vitality, so there are these differences. Now, at the very end of your comment, you raised, I think, a very interesting point, and it's one that has always teased me in my own um, uh, value-neutral work on the presidency, and that is, uh, so suppose I step back from the content of policies and just ask how skilled this person is, but what if, if the policies themselves will self-destruct, as Johnson's did in Vietnam? Well, I think there is a kind of an overlap and I'm talking as a political scientist, and you're talking as a citizen, and I'll you know, defer to you in that status. This is a very specialized role I occupy. Um, I think there is, you know, there, is a, there is a crucial interlap, or interlap, overlap. This is a Bushian usage that I just invented. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, in, in that whether or not you approve of a policy if particularly within the person's tenure of office it's going to prove to be counterproductive, then um, it becomes something like skill. And um, so it's a specialized point, but I appreciate your comment. Yes, Could you please define the literal skills? Your, your definition. Well, there are many, okay. Um, the, uh, one, one, I mean, a folk dinner, a, a folksy one would be the uh, would would be the uh, um, would be the one I gave you uh, that was used on Lyndon Johnson, the ability to vi divide by two and add one. Politics is sometimes called the art of the possible. Uh, now there are many different kinds of skills, and you could use the word skill to encompass all these other matters as well. I think of it in, mostly in terms of the sort of uh, uh, persuasive uh, uh, capacity to bargain, to engage in give and take, and so on. Things that I that I discovered as a parent that my children got to be quite good at uh, at uh, by age three, if their parents happened to uh, be uh, not uh, showing a common front. So it's something we all have. Yeah. Not once did you mention anything about 
how he is governing all the people, by the people, with justice and liberty for all. You're right. You're right. That was in the first. That was in the first two Doonesbury boxes, which were not my topic. I should have given you all the option to leave the room at that point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I said I should have given you the option to leave the room. I should have given you a more pro, more of a product warning that this is going to be a very uh, a, a very uh, uh, calculating approach to him as a political instrument, not a uh, not an attempt to establish the virtue of his presidency. Uh, I'm asking. Uh, I'm asking. Uh, well, what should? I, uh, I mean, I, I study presidents the way the uh, the way the uh, documentary uh, people on the Discovery Channel study the animals of the African savanna. They don't say, "Is the lion a good creature? Uh, do we identify with the zebra?" They say, "How do these?" How do these creatures operate? What do they do? How do they manage? And often what they do is rather bloody and unattractive. But, but it's something that people have found useful to study. And, and I've been fortunate enough to work all of my, my way all the way through an academic career studying how things work poli- politically and leaving it to my philosopher colleagues to uh, uh, ask whether they are virtuous. Although when I go to the voting booth, I certainly reach sorts of decisions that you're searching for. Let me get some other comments or questions. You've been very patient. In the- uh, you've made several references to the Vietnam fiasco mm-hmm. Johnson's. Yeah. Johnson being the object of blame and uh, yes, avoidance of blame mm-hmm. the object of blame uh, is in the minds of the president as well as What's puzzled me over these many years since Vietnam, I have a clear recollection of a telecast where Kennedy, President Kennedy, was at a map of that part of the world, and the domino theory. (laughs) And uh, that is one of the very clear recollections that I have. Mm-hmm. Of that period was what we were talking about four years ago, mm-hmm. and yet you never hear Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, being the object of the blame for our mm-hmm. uh, Oh, I think if you went into the academic literature, apart from being appalled at how much of it there is, you would find people who devote their lives to blaming Kennedy or blaming Eisenhower in a recent book or blaming Truman since we first began supporting the French in Indochina in the Truman uh, period, partly out of a uh, out of a desire to keep France uh, uh, in our ages in the, in, um, in the Cold War. There's plenty of uh, blame to go around, if blame is the word you want to use for, uh, uh, for, for Vietnam. Uh, the uh, uh, what's striking about I I used to have a lot of conversations with someone who served both Kennedy and Johnson in a critical position, and this was McGeorge, the late McGeorge Bundy, and it was very interesting to compare. Uh, 
uh, Kennedy was very interested in the in the substance of policy. He was he was very, he was also very pragmatic, and he could move from issue to issue. He was not a Ronald Reagan, who stood for a few firm things, but he always asked hard. Uh, focused questions. You see this particularly in the, the really worrisome event of our times, the Cuban Missile Crisis of October 62, when Kennedy really um, very clearly recognized that uh, there was no sense in, in doing face-saving things uh, uh, if they would lead to a nuclear exchange. Uh, Johnson just didn't look at those kinds of questions. It was He was like someone who's tone deaf and tries to sing. And when you look very closely at how we got in, he just, he, what he does is split the difference. He, he'll get, the General, General Eisenhower, then in retirement, said, well, if you're going to do this, use, use massive force right away and go up to uh, uh, Hanoi. And other people, uh, someone who lived in Princeton named George Ball, uh, said, we should get out of there. Well, Johnson took these middle grounds, and the result is that it was, uh, uh, it, it was uh, whether it would have worked for anyone is a good question. I, I think that Kennedy, who walked away from the Bay of Pigs, uh, if he had been elected in 64, wouldn't quite have walked away from Vietnam, but I think he would have let them sink themselves. And, and, but who knows? We can't know those things. But there, I think we've got time for two more questions. Okay, let me uh, be uh, uh, gender balanced. You'll be first, and the gentleman here has been very patient. We'll be second. How do you feel uh, about Vice President Cheney taking such a low profile at this time? Mm-hmm. I read where they well. want him to upstate. <laughs> well, I think, there's an, I think there is an element of that. Cheney, I've, I've actually known Cheney, who... who who provides a blurb on the rear of the paperback of, of the presidential difference. Uh, I've known him since he was Rumsfeld's deputy in the Ford White House and even have had him in this room uh, giving presentations. He's very smart, uh, very measured. Uh, uh, there was one... Um, there was a great wave of praise for Bush when he chose him because so many people in journalism and the political community think of him as a very bright, capable people person. And they looked at his voting record in Wyoming, which was very, very conservative, and that produced a kind of a, uh, of a backlash. And then eventually the thing that, that was emerging even before, way before this period of time, um, he, uh, Cheney... It, it kept being perceived that Cheney was the president. The first weekend after the inauguration, Cheney was on all the talk shows, um, and he had to fend off questions saying, what will you do next with your administration? And he would say, President Bush will do this the next weekend. He himself absented himself from those talk shows. He's very... He's very able, but there is an element of the upstaging. And right now there's this other um, thing, which is to uh, uh, keep the two of them physically separate because there, you know, there is a belief that uh, there would be an attempt to, uh, 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 to assassinate the president. Uh, a lot of interesting scenarios. The, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's a minor... I, I, 
I think it's just very sty- I mean, it's. I think it's a matter of style almost. Yes, you have the last word. I want to get across. Mm-hmm. I want to, but every time I see President Bush, TV, pictures, newspapers, he got a certain smile on mm-hmm. his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> makes him appear cocky like a playboy type. Mm-hmm. He likes to be the head of the class. Mm-hmm. And maybe what's going on in Afghanistan by taking the town here and the town there is publicity and building his way for the next four years we can run again. Actually, what I think they should do without losing men is not to have troops there, but the bar, they're in the mountains, all these Kabula and all these guys. Why, I mean, the Taliban, why don't they bomb the supply lines? Mm-hmm. And by bombing the supply lines, they're not getting food or armor in there, mm-hmm. you know, which eventually they're going to run away. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to send troops in to do it? I'm just saying, he don't like to do that because the other way gets more publicity. Well, I can't get it. You're wasting I can't get in his head, but it may be. But so far, I think we just have a couple of hundred troops there. Well, let's all watch the uh, uh, the TV tonight. There may be a, the situation there is very fluid, and the uh, actually one of the comments is that you don't see that seeming smirk uh, uh, the way you used to, or to that to that degree. But thank you all for being so patient.